Welcome to the YPO Leadership Development Network's Leader of Leaders podcast series, hosted by Dr. Terrence Kamal. We engage in open discussions with our YPO members who share their leadership journeys, experiences, and lessons. We discuss everything from leading startups and family businesses to international multi-million dollar entities. In the second part of the Only in YPO discussion, we engage in informed discussions that include the successes, failures, struggles, and trade-offs in their journey. Chris, thank you so much for making the time. I think this, this project itself, as, as, as the broad picture, uh, it's, it's, it's your brainchild to a large extent. If you could maybe take me through very quickly what you're thinking behind creating a podcast like this uh, was about and what the original concept was, and then we can maybe go a little bit back into your, your personal journey. Absolutely. You know, the, the inspiration for doing a podcast really came to me out of my own kind of frustration that when I listened to various venues like TED Talks or GCCs, uh, you know, it requires uh, 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes to listen to something. And I just find that I don't have that much time that I can allocate anymore. Uh, I'm an avid listener of podcasts because I have drive time between meetings. And so I, I can pick things up in snippets, but I just I don't necessarily have a large block of time to do something in. And I was just driving along one day thinking, you know, we have only an access or excuse me, only in YPO access to people uh, who are incredibly powerful. I've got uh, a couple of mentors that I meet with regularly. Uh, and just when I've met with other YPO members, either through my chapter or through YPO events, um, you know, the insights are always spectacular. And I keep wishing that we could condense those into a small uh, package that we could deliver. That's, that's sort of where the inspiration came from. Okay, fantastic. T tell me in terms of your journey, besides our peers, I think you've also, being a, a fellow YPO as, as our peer and, and brother, what is... How did you get where you are today? What has your journey been, if we talk in, in, in recent terms? And then maybe we'll take it back, you know, a few steps. Sure. Um, you know, most recently, I have started a company uh, focused on leadership mindset, this whole idea that, that we can actually, based on what we know about the brain and mind, we can actually help to cultivate a leadership mindset um, in very specific ways. And so, um, this is really a culmination of a 35, 40 year career in leadership um, and starting to understand that the neuroscience now actually gives us sort of a roadmap on how to sort of systematically improve our capacity to lead effectively. And so, um, you know, my journey recently has been around focusing on how to help leaders improve their, their skill set at a pretty fundamental level through, through uh, mindset and thought processes and thought habits. And that sort of led me into the leadership development network work, um, because that's obviously an area where other like-minded YPOers gather. And uh, I've just gravitated into wanting to do things on a more formal basis to help other YPOs uh, improve their leadership uh, by connecting with one another. Fantastic. In, in this process of, of developing the new business, I think there's been a lot of insights and nuances that, that you have access to that most of us may not directly or not indirectly have access to. What do you think are the most important values that you think we, we should be sharing with our peers in terms of what you provide and what do you think you've taken from that journey? Well, you know, I spend a lot of time in sort of the, the traditional behavioral focused model of how to help people change their, their personal and, and leadership performance. And I just, I found that I was 
spending a lot of time and resource, uh, both individually and with my team and my former company, and not really making a whole lot of progress. And so this whole idea of moving upstream into how do you influence thinking um, really became intriguing to me as I, I met a couple of people who were doing work in that space. And just this idea that, that the language that you use can influence your self-dialogue, uh, how you reframe uh, memories with different emotions to help you get different outcomes. Um, there's just a whole body of work in the research around uh, brain science and uh, the science of the mind that helps inform what we do. But that research really typically stays within the academic community. So there are relatively few organizations that are systematically helping uh, bring that into the business community in ways that business leaders can adopt that uh, methodology quickly and easily. Sure. Chris, if you, you mentioned three things and I've just jotted them out down quickly. If you could take us through a few examples, uh, you know, strategically for, 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 the, for our peers who are going to watch this and listen to us, is when you talk leadership can be influenced by, by changing words. Give me an example of, of, of how you think that could work. Well, I mean, very simply, you know, if you listen, uh, there, there was an exercise that I became aware of where people were asked to go and find a crowd and listen to conversations going on in a crowd. And you'll discover that when people are talking about their personal power, about 85% of the time they're giving away their power. So they talk about hoping to do something or trying to do something. Uh, they talk about other people telling them they have to do something. Uh, and so it, it is amazing that in our language, we give away our power so frequently. Um, you know, a lot of leaders sort of naturally understand this and talk about their plans and their deadlines and their commitments. But the whole realm of self-accountability is actually influenced by how you view your own personal accountability in, in accomplishing things. And it turns out that your language has a lot to do with it. The more you work on enabling language to talk about uh, how you're going to accomplish something or your commitment or your deadline uh, the more likely you are to accomplish that. And it's interesting because as you use your, your, your spoken language to talk about that, your spoken language influences your self-dialogue around how you think about these things. Um, and it's a, it's a very fascinating science around it. There's a, a lot of work that's been done in, in uh, athletics around how coaches uh, coach uh, professional athletes and the language that they use. Sure. Chris? Do you think there's a link between the success of these high-performance athletes, as you mentioned, the coaching space, to what we could use in, in the corporate world and our personal lives? There absolutely is. And uh, very effective leadership coaches use the same techniques uh, to help influence uh, senior executives as are used within athletics. And so there is sort of a, a code for high performance um, and that that code for high performance is slowly but surely being revealed through more and more research and people gathering the research together uh, and making it accessible to business leaders. So absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of money on the line for, for professional athletes, and you get to see their performance on the field very consistently. And so athletics has embraced much of this more quickly. Um, but, you know, if you think about professional athletic teams that are doing now more mindfulness work to silence the mind or quiet the mind down, they understand that in order to get in the zone, uh, you need to be able to quiet your mind down in a way that you can focus on an outcome and start to exclude other things going on that become distractions. Well, that's a great technique for business leaders who get interrupt-driven days where you have email on the one hand and phone calls and meetings and people who want your time, and it really stops you from focusing on the more strategic things you want to get done. So the same technique to quiet your mind that athletics uses works very well for business leaders as well. Sure. 
In terms of this process that, that, that you work with, how long or how much investment does an individual need to do to start seeing true impact in, in their daily lives and their professional lives? Uh, our experience is about 90 days. Um, you know, it, it takes a while to increase self-awareness and you have to start by understanding uh, how your current thinking is what is leading to your current results. Um, and once you start to improve self-awareness, then you can start to toy with this idea that you can actually change how you frame your thinking. And by changing how you frame your thinking, you understand that you have a different choice in how you think, feel, or act in any given situation. And as you start to explore those other choices and put them into action, you can start to see a different result. Obviously, if you like that result, you can do more of it. If you don't like the result, you do less of it. So the beauty of the work, of course, is that that you either stay the same or you improve. There's very little chance that you could get worse as a result of this because it's all sort of a voluntary process. But it takes about 90 days through this cycle of self-awareness, choice, uh, implementation, and feedback in order to start really seeing results. And you know, we've, we've worked with companies that have absolutely transformed their, their bottom line results because of, of, of embracing this methodology. And I, will, I mean, we're, we're not the only ones that do this, certainly. I mean, we, we are taking in neuroscience and brain science from around the world uh, and packaging it up. And there are clearly other organizations that are doing similar versions of this. In terms of the science space, Chris, how much of, of besides having the science and the techniques that you have in the sports space, how much has your personal journey as a professional in the last, as you said, 30 to 40 years, influenced what you do in terms of your experience in, in what you offer? Uh, it's influenced it tremendously. I mean, I went through a, a point where I worked in, in uh, higher education and then worked in large corporations. And I, I really was exploring uh, this idea of how do you assess your own competence when you're part of a 135,000 person corporation. Um, you know, I, I had this little insight one day driving home that if I got run over by a, a bus, would anybody even notice I was missing for a few weeks? They would just think I'm on vacation and then <laughs> the work that I was doing actually suffer because somebody else would step in and take over it. And I, I decided that I really needed to explore this area of, of personal competence and how do I uh, understand my own competence, then how do I improve my own competence? Um, and so I, I, I branched off as an entrepreneur. I built a telecommunications company, uh, sold that company. And the more I was thinking about it, the more I was kind of frustrated that whereas I have been developing my own journey, I was not as, as successful in helping my leadership team develop their journeys. And that's where I, I came upon this epiphany that I was working on how to change their behavior, not change their thinking. And as a consequence, I started to get very intrigued and started to look at more of the scientific literature, started to talk with people in this space and discovered that, that whereas there is lots and lots of research, it is sort of scattered all over and nobody's really, six years ago when I started this, nobody had consolidated it into what I will call a curriculum for want of a better term, but, but sort of a systematic way of delivering it. And we now have a, a, a coaching practice and a facilitation practice that does just that and we are next spring going to release a uh, conversational coaching interface, a digital conversational coaching interface that can actually bring it uh, out to a, a, a lot of people at a very low cost per person. So we're pretty excited about that. Sounds really, really interesting. I think, I think Chris, in the YPO space, how has YPO added value to what you do or created a more conducive environment? Has there been any influence you know, within our peers and the broader organization? 
Uh, absolutely, because, you know, I, I have my head sort of stuck in the academic side on the one side, but of course, to be able to, to, to rub shoulders with brilliant YPOers actually then in, helps inform the practical application of this work, right? So at the end of the day, uh, keeping it in the academic sphere or keeping it with a small handful of people that are interested in it really doesn't have the magnifying effect that I hope it will have. And so the, the capacity to then talk with YPOers who are already brilliant leaders and understand kind of what their journey was and how they sort of intuitively came to some of this uh, information or how they rigorously sought some of this information to make them better leaders. You know, my, my goal is to, to be a person who can help at a very practical level do applied work with leaders, not really just be in, in the academic space, but take rigorous science and help apply it within organizational leadership to help create that sort of transformational effect. Um, I, I, I use the term uh, insight ecosystem. You know, the goal is to really help people uh, have an ecosystem around them that inspires them to insight to improve their leadership effectiveness or improve their team effectiveness, because only by helping people have their own insights are you going to have that sort of powerful impact on transforming an organization. I, I can preach all day long and it won't matter one, one bit. Uh, if somebody doesn't have their own insight. Yeah. Chris, for those who are not in a YPO space, those who are young up and coming, if we talk to entrepreneurs, startups, those kind of kind of leaders, how can, can those kind of leaders access what you do currently so that one day when, when they can have the privilege access like you and I do within a YPO space to reach out to Pierre, who's really great in multiple industries, to say, hey, John, or hey, Peter, you've done this this and you've done this, uh, I need to bounce something off you. Guys who start up struggle to get access to great mentors and peers. What do you suggest in terms of what you do that these young young professionals could do to access this kind of thinking, whether through your organization or otherwise? Well, certainly one of my hopes is that by having a version of the podcast that YPO can provide to young entrepreneurs, that's one of my hopes is that those insights get shared by by YPO leaders and, and people that YPO has access to through the podcast mechanism. Um, but, you know, the, the, the goal for me is really a, from an organizational perspective to be able to offer these insights through this conversational coaching interface at a very low cost per person in a way that we can connect to young entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in a, in, in a way that does not break the bank for them. Um, yep. This idea of consolidating that and creating the opportunity for them to have their own insights. You know, I think back on myself when I was in my 20s, um, my perspective on leadership was not sophisticated enough that I could have really embraced a lot of this work. And so you need to package it in a way that it really makes sense for somebody who's starting their first company or in an early growth phase or whatever. And so, you know, that really would be the goal is to ensure that we are putting this together in a way that it is relevant and insightful for people at different stages in their career. And my hope is that, that YPO becomes a mechanism for distributing that out because clearly those are the, the generation of people who will join YPO in 10 years or 15 years from now. Um, and I hope that this, the podcast series can be an integral part of helping make that happen. In this conversation, this podcast is exactly that conversation that we'll be sharing. Just, yes. just so you know, you're talking about what we're going to do. We're doing it right now. So right. I think this, this is a key. Pre you're talking to the project that we're already in, which is fantastic. If you were to talk to two or three things that, that you think are most pertinent, because there are multiple conversations happening. And just yesterday, you know, I was at a singularity program in which there was a suggestion of saying, get a millennial coach. 
which initially guys are saying, what do you mean coach? They say, no, no, let the millennial teach you to what's relevant today, which was a total shift of the original thinking of, of leadership, which says we'll teach the kids. And in this case, they're saying, hold on, you're completely misguided to where the, where the current world is, where the current attention is and where the current model is. And if I were to contrast what Singularity says is at a very high level, great leadership model is what we need to learn. And you get the likes and just, it's, it's somebody I listened to, I've been listening to recently is Gary Vee says, he's in the business of attention. It's purely, he doesn't care what the platform is. He wants to know what's maximum impact. And a lot of people tell him, but you say the same thing again and again. He says, I say the same thing again and again because I'm good at it. Yeah. What would be your key message to, to these up and coming uh, peers and colleagues of ours who hopefully will join us soon of what they should be doing right now as take home messages from your journey into to where you are today? Well, I mean, I, I think the idea of sort of focusing on uh, the core value proposition in your business. I mean, I, I find that in this digital age, it is so easy to get distracted and that a lot of the thing that has had an impact on me that there was actually a, a book called Two Awesome Hours uh, written about how you focus and, and look at those inflection points in your day to ensure that you are staying uh, true to the growth of your, your business. And so um, for me, it is how do I ensure that I've got blocks of time that allow me to really focus on the, the building the value proposition of my organization Obviously, you have to tend to the little things that come up, the emails during the day and things like that. But if you allow yourself to be interrupt driven, which is where so many people drift these days, because it is, I mean, there is an addictive tendency in the brain to want to get that little endorphin rush associated with taking care of something, but that really does erode your performance over the long term. And so I've watched, uh, you know, people who are are my my children's ages and they're, they're late 20s and early 30s, um, those who tend to be successful tend to be those ones who can set aside blocks of time and really uh, take care to focus on growth of the value proposition. Those who tend to be less successful are interrupt driven. And so uh, my insight would be stay true to the value of your business. Fantastic. Thanks Thanks for that, Chris. Chris, now to flip to, to what we, we, when we spoke in concept, the the in-forum, the personal insights, the, the non-public version, if I, if I could call it. Yeah. If we were talking strictly to our peers, our, our, our trusted peers in a YPS space, this entire journey of 30 or 40 years that, that you've taken to get where you are, no matter what you have, there's always been a trade-off. And there's always been a personal growth. Maybe if we start with the personal growth, what it's done for you as an individual, and then perhaps then you, you could explore the concept of trade-offs or the exchanges that we've made along the way. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, one of the, the, the areas of fundamental growth for me is the appreciation of worldview. Um, the fact that we each have a unique worldview, which we created because of our life, our influencers as we grew up, you know, so many of us live enough in our worldview that we perceive the rightness of our worldview is actually right for others as well. And so <laughs> some of us tend to suggest that people adopt our worldview as a way of becoming successful. And I noticed that in forum over the years um, that my inclination to offer suggestions was guided by what I thought was right. And I love the idea of not shooting on peers within forum but simply sharing, you know, the, this idea of being a, a mirror or a lamp. 
You know, you either want to reflect what somebody has said to help them see it more clearly, or you want to be a lamp to illuminate some aspect of something for them. But it really is in the context of, it, it's not insightful for them unless it really is a reflection of how they increase their focus on their own thinking based on their own worldview. And so that's really been a, a, a big shift for me is, um, you know, I, I've looked at and admired leaders throughout my career. And, you know, I have to say, tried to emulate a bunch of them. And, and despite the fact that they were brilliant leaders, my attempts to emulate didn't work very well because they came from a specific worldview that was theirs, right? And yeah. so when I started to learn to pull things in to my own worldview that were insights that I garnered from my interaction with them, I started to find myself becoming more successful. Um, but it also has been, you know, a challenging journey because it, it it's a sort of brutal light on, you know, you, your personal accomplishments really are a function of your thinking. And if you you uh, tried to, to sort of hide behind excuses for why things haven't worked out the way you wanted to. Uh, you know, you're, you're eroding your, your capacity to learn from those events. And so it, it, it gets to be sort of a frightening, lonely journey of self-exploration over time. And, and that sort of frightening, lonely journey is not something that a lot of YPOers are willing to necessarily share, even, even in forums sometimes. Yeah. And, and in terms of the trade-offs, Chris, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we, we we briefly traversed this concept earlier in investing our growth individually, professionally and otherwise. There's something had to give because at the end of the day, we have a finite amount of time. Yes. Where, where do you think looking back, as as, as, as you've rightly said, as, as a mirror and reflection, do you think you could have spent more time and and was it a, a worthwhile trade off to where we are today? Well, that, that gets at a sort of a subject near and dear to me. I was working with my son building a pergola on his, his house and I was asking him, you know, what are his memories of his upbringing and what does he wish, he's a, he's a new father, uh, and I was saying, what does he wish had been different in his upbringing? And he told me that one of the things he was very sort of frustrated at was that I just didn't devote that much time um, to being with my children because I was in the middle of building a telecommunications business and traveling a lot and uh, focused on the growth of the company. And, uh, you know, he and I had a pretty poignant conversation around, you know, clearly um, where you choose to spend your time is a reflection of, of the trade-offs you're willing to make. And, you know, I had this sense that I was very committed to the growth of the company, and I thought I was making a good trade-off on spending very focused time with my family as well. He, you know, in his youth, did not see it that way. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I find it an interesting dilemma because I, my heart goes out to, you know, my nine-year-old son uh, who didn't have enough time with his dad. On the other hand, he's also an entrepreneur in his own right. And he's a very successful entrepreneur. And so I look at him and I think, well, you know, one of the things that I did leave him with is the fact that if you want to accomplish something in life, you actually have to roll up your sleeves and get to work on it. And so, um, you know, it is a, a question of trade-offs. And there's, there's still only 24 hours in a day and 365 days in a year. And so, um, yes, in some ways, I wish I had, had spent more focused time so that he didn't feel like he was, was playing second uh, you know, fiddle to the, the work. On the other hand, um, you know, it was for work that I felt was valuable and was clearly part of what I needed to do to support my family as well. So, Great. Chris, 
in, in terms of this entire process of, of the journey, we, we mentioned a few things that you've thought and you felt, but within yourself, there's not always been success. Yes. And, it, and I'm not talking physical success in a business perspective, but between yourself to yourself, are you able to share some of those insights with us? Well, yes. I mean, I, I actually, when I started the, the, the new company, I was working on trying to build a different model for the organization. Um, you know, we were focusing our energies on working with a broad cross-section of people uh, to help them shift mindset. And we adopted kind of a social services model where we worked with, with uh, a broad cross-section of staff providing support services for them. And I have to say that, that the idea of, of the social services model applied to business just did not work very well. Um, and it was, it was kind of sort of gut-wrenching for me because I'd invested a lot of my sort of desire to create this alternative uh, business structure. We had, we had looked at um, uh, holacracy, uh, this idea of a meritocracy-based uh, organization system. Um, you know, we were involved with the conscious capitalism movement and a number of other things. And the problem was we just never could get this group of people focused on the economic impact that we needed to have quickly enough to make the business model work. And yet I had invested myself so much as a leader in wanting that to be successful that I ended up um, wanting it to be successful almost into bankruptcy. Um, and, and I finally, you know, had sort of a, a, uh, uh, a very deep and powerful meeting with a couple of my investors in which we did sit down and sort of dissected where we were at and where the trajectory was at. And I did have my own personal epiphany, which was, you know, to make the economics of this work, I needed to fundamentally shift the approach, which did mean a fairly radical change in the staffing of the organization, uh, sort of narrowing down on a particular focus, uh, starting to do work with executive teams almost exclusively in positions um, who were, you know, high sort of uh, 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 fiscal uh, value clients in a way that we could actually make the economics of the business work, you know, and, and things uh, have turned around and started to very aggressively grow at this point. Um, but, you know, it, there's still sort of a, 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 a raw wound under there about how I had been so singularly focused on wanting this other business model work that I had essentially blinded myself much to the frustration of many of my colleagues. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, you're either succeeding or you're learning, right? And it took me a while <laughs> to figure out I needed to be learning because I clearly wasn't succeeding. <laughs> Fantastic. I think, Chris, you know, it, it'll be an unfair question to you, but if we spoke to other peers, they'd be able to make suggestions of go to coaching or go to mentoring, but this is your core business. This is, this is what you do. This is the value you create. Yeah. So, if you were to take it slightly differently, if you were to reach out to one mentor in any period of time that you want to spend time with and, and, and try and understand their thinking, which led them to make the impact that they've done, whether it be somebody in the private space or somebody, you know, a brand well-known, who would it be, why, and what would that conversation involve? Well, I currently have a, actually four mentors that I meet with on a fairly regular basis um, because they do help inform my perspective. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. The, the one I would pick is a gentleman named Ken Turbach, uh, who was the guy that actually inspired me to start the, the new organization. Uh, Ken Turbach uh, was a, a Harvard MBA guy. He and three of his Harvard colleagues started a business to turn around companies that had World Bank loans that were likely to default. 
Um, and so he got lots of experience around the world in how you do turnaround work. And he's the one who actually had an insight around uh, looking at higher education and saying it's interesting that higher education, uh, the attainment level of, in higher education does not correlate all that well with success uh, as defined by a person, you know, whether you want to be a starving artist or a, a corporate executive or a movie star. Um, it is a way of thinking that correlates with those outcomes. And why do we not focus on shifting thinking in the education system as opposed to simply teaching the kind of traditional things that we teach in, in, in the educational model? And he actually came up with the original course um, that he put together titled The Principles of Personal Business and Financial Achievement. And it was just a, a, a runaway success with his students. Uh, he made it on national television all sorts of things, um, and yet is completely unsung because the higher education system did not really care all that much for a radically better approach to right, right. helping to teach students. And yeah. I learned about the work he was doing through actually a YPO uh, meeting, uh, and so I, I got to chatting with him during the meeting, and then I got so intrigued by this idea that you could help people change how they think that I flew up to meet him and spend a day with him in, at his company. Um, and that was sort of the germ of my insight. And so, you know, despite the fact that, that very few people on the, the national, international scene know his name, um, you know, he was really very insightful and was sort of an inspiration to me. And because he's got such broad experience in leadership work around the world, and he's touched on higher education, and he's been very successful himself. You know, he's a great role model, and he's he's just not really ever sought the spotlight. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of nice because I can actually get a bunch of his time because he's also not being interviewed by by uh, CNN and and uh, <laughs> things like that. So yeah, so so the conversations you want to have, you have anyway with him. Yes, I mean that's that's one of the beauties is that that you know a lot of my mentors are sort of brutally honest with me because that's sort of the best way to help me have insights uh, and uh, very supportive. You know, they they understand the, the mission that I'm on um, and understand how I'm focusing on staying very grounded in in uh, solid science. I mean, there's a lot of pseudoscience and a lot of speculative. Uh, work derived from science out there, uh, and I'm I'm really trying to make sure that we stay far away from that. And so they are they are people who understand my sense of mission, understand their role as a mentor, um, and I I think we have some pretty powerful conversations as a result. Fantastic, Chris. Just for for our peers that are going to be listening to this conversation soon, you mentioned your business is starting a digital coaching service. Yeah, but you have your own mentors. For those of our peers, and maybe including myself, can you differentiate between the two and draw on the nuances between that two processes? Sure. Well, we've been we have developed this uh, practice we called Master Your Mindset. Um, we've developed this practice over the last six years, and we have refined it based on what we have learned. The problem, of course, is that we use uh, coaches who are International Coaching Federation certified. They've got enough hours that they can actually coach other coaches, uh, you know, they've worked, you know, thousands and thousands of hours with clients. And so we have started to see the patterns of performance there. And we have developed now a digital coach called Malcolm, who provides uh, a digital conversational coaching interface based on the six years of success that we've had. So it is an adaptive coaching interface that is purely app based. 
Um, so it is sort of a, I don't want to use the term coach bot, but I will. Um, but the goal really is that we can then deliver that service to people, you know, for 10 or $20 a month, as opposed to hundreds and hundreds of dollars per session, which we would do with executive coaching clients. Um, and it really is based on this idea, like I mentioned, of the sort of the, the, the insight ecosystem idea that we are there to try to help you uncover insights around why you have not accomplished the things that you want to accomplish and also how do you successfully accomplish the things that you do accomplish and then as we go sort of deeper in that that dialogue even through the digital coach we start to uncover things that will allow you to improve your capacity to to consistently achieve the goals that you set for yourself um, and again there will always be a component for people who have the capacity to pay for a an in-person coach, but this is really designed for those people who simply don't have that capacity. Sure. And how do you contrast that that offering to your current mentors? Is 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 there really a difference between the two? Um, well, there's a difference in that there's a very bounded set of, of spaces in which the digital coach can operate, right? Because there's a heuristic associated with the breadth of the questioning. And so, you know, if you add in sort of a uh, a, a very divergent path of conversation with the digital coach. It won't know really what to do with it. So it will yep. end up trying to ask you questions that end up sort of guiding you back into the heuristic that it actually can operate in. <laughs> uh, whereas the, the human coach can actually address, you know, a, a, a non sequitur in the conversation that takes you off on some tangent somewhere. Yep. Um, and so, um, you know, so from my perspective, this, the, the digital coaching platform we're, we're focusing our, our human to human interactions on leadership teams, you know, senior management, but with this idea that we have the same methodology of coaching that you can then cascade down through your organization because we've had companies, <coughs> excuse me, with, you know, 50, a hundred thousand employees in them and their, their conversation with us is we love this work at the executive level. How do we get it throughout our entire organization? And that really was the premise by which we started. We developed a, an early version of a micro learning platform that we thought was going to be successful to cascade this work only to discover that it wasn't the micro learning content that was impactful for people. It was actually the, the interactive coaching component. And I have to say, you know, we scrapped a bunch of development work and started all over again based on this conversational coaching interface. Um, and, you know, we've got a relationship with a, a gentleman who does uh, machine learning work. So as we start to build the algorithms out, we will use machine learning methodologies to then understand how to expand the impact of the, the line of questioning that we can offer. But as we're starting off, we're, we're obviously starting with a fairly basic uh, form of questioning uh, to allow us to get this product to market rapidly and get actual client feedback. But, you know, so far in our unit testing, uh, people have loved it. So... Fantastic. Chris, as a, as a final thought on the business side, and I, you know, I appreciate what you're sharing with us, is it looks like what you're doing is disrupting your own industry. Because you know, just yesterday I got out of a singularity discussion with, with peers, and they speak of what are your blind spots and the issue, and there were great insights on how industries who thought they couldn't be disrupted are being disrupted. In your space, do you feel that this, this is the solution to, to the potential disruption of technology? Well, I, I do in some regards, you know, I, I mean, the, the general industry of leadership development, as I said, has for 50 years been so behaviorally focused um, and they just they've never gone upstream into 
how to influence thinking. And so I, I believe that the wave of neuroscience and brain science research will now fundamentally change how we look at individual leadership and, and performance development. And, um, you know, the idea that you can actually systematically package that into a technology offering, um, you know, the, 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 the challenge, of course, is that so many uh, apps now leverage addictability. You know, I mean, Facebook is a master of addictability because they keep you coming back because you see the little badge light up that you've got something waiting for you. And they yep. know that they're leveraging your social groups to make you go back there, even if you don't want to go back there. You, know, you can't <laughs> not go see who left you a message or whatever. The, the yep. challenge is that, that playing into this, this propensity to be addicted in some form or another to gaming or social networking or online gambling or whatever plays into sort of the, the, uh, the, the more base constructs of, of how our brain operates. And we really want to disrupt this industry around if you're going to use this technology, we want to use the technology to actually help you perform better at the things that you choose to do. And quite frankly, you know, a lot of the recommendation of the technology may be, you know, take the next hour and turn your phone off, you know, because the best use of your time is to not listen to the little pling noises or the beeps or watch the badges show up. And at the end of the day, at some point, we need to become accountable around you know, how do you use the assets that we all use in our personal and business life in a way that actually improves our life and does not simply descend into, you know, how many click-throughs can you get on your ad or whatever. Yeah, fantastic. Chris, thank you so much for your time and, and effort in this. I'm, you know, to me, it's been fantastic learning and, and understanding the journey. I think whilst listening, I had to stop and pause and say, there's lots I need to reflect on from your journey. So it's been absolutely beneficial to me. I'm sure our peers are going to love it. Thank you for joining us. In the next show, we share more insights and discussions with members in the YPO Leadership Development Network's Leader of Leaders podcast series.